Welcome to A Minister, a Priest, and a Rabbi Walk Into a Radio Station. I'm Dr. Pandora Carlucci, and I'm here with my co-host, Jay Horgan. Good morning, Jay. How are you doing? I am doing great, Pandora, and it is a thrill to actually have walked into a radio station today with our three faith leaders and yourself. We we have talked about walking into it for quite a while, and we finally get the opportunity. So that is awesome. It's awesome to be back in person with you, Pandora. Well, actually... This is our first time in person. We started recording in, I believe, June of 2020. And all of these shows have been done virtually using Zoom technology facilitated by Franklin TV and radio. And so you're right, this is our first time we're coming together and broadcasting this show as a team in person. And our faith leaders, Every month are Reverend Kathy McAdams, Rabbi Tom Alpert, and Pastor Jacob Yunker. Our subject for this month, which is war, and specifically talking about the war in the Ukraine. So I'll turn it over to Pastor Yunker. Pastor, I would ask you, in terms of um, how your specific religion and religion as a whole kind of views, you know, on on occasion, I think people don't have an option uh, when it comes to a global conflict or things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that and and what your teachings have, have kind of led what you teach to your congregation? So holding that uh, hard line can be very difficult. Mm. Um, so you know, as we look, to, as I look at within my faith tradition to someone like uh, our founder John Wesley, you know, he he fully believed that while war should always be avoided, it is an unavoidable thing. Um, in particular because we live in a world where uh, human beings do not live in right relationship with one another. Um, and so he, he asked some very important questions, I, I think, uh, in his address to, um, to his fellow British colleagues uh, as the American Revolution was about to begin. And um, he wrote, you know, would anyone who has an understanding, um, any bowels of mercy and compassion not do the utmost that either human or divine prudence can suggest to prevent war for who knows when the sword is once drawn where it may stop, what can command it to be put into its scabbard and it will obey him. Such power is not in man. And so that cautionary question and tale is something that always has to be before us. And it's it has to be almost a, 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 not a juggling act, but as you said, it's a fine line to kind of 
figure out where you stand and, and where you go forward in terms of not just yourself, but members of your congregation, members of other congregations. It's got to be, again, a fine line, a challenge there. And it's easy. Well, yes, and it's easy to be a realist when you don't, or it's easy to be kind of hold to high ideals when you don't live in the real world. Right. Uh, and so it's important to hold those high ideals. But the application of those ideals, as we do our best to live our lives, um, we have to hold that the reality and the ideal in, in active tension with one another. Mm. Pastor Jacob, thank you uh, so much for your thoughts. Uh, and as always, it, it is very enlightening to hear you talk. Uh, and now we're going to get enlightened even more by Rabbi Tom. So Rabbi Tom, why don't you take it from here? One of the names of God is peace, is shalom. And peace is indeed, um, you, you know, regarded as the condition to which we have to strive. So wars are never a good or a positive thing. On the other hand, there are times when we are compelled, and tradition was that you know you're compelled to do it if a, a Jew is uh, being attacked. Well, I think you spend that to when anyone is being attacked, they we have an obligation to defend ourselves, uh, and so um, a war of aggression is clearly uh, forbidden. And as far as I'm concerned, as far as Judaism is concerned, is not allowed. A war of self-defense, uh, when necessary, is allowed. And of course, that doesn't answer all kinds of questions of, well, how far should the U.S. go and should we put in a no-fly zone and the like. Those are questions that I, as a faith leader, find are way um, beyond my ability to be able to, to, to comment on intelligently. I mean, I'll be glad to hang out in a bar and comment on them, but, uh, you know, in terms of serious conversation, that's, that's for people who are not me. Uh, in terms of what Judaism teaches, we are able to defend ourselves, and we are able to be in support of people who are themselves uh, facing a war of aggression. I would love to hear you, Rabbi, talk about no-fly zone in some <laughs> well, In a bar. In a yeah. bar. <laughs> Reverend Kathy. Yes. So, like my colleagues, I can't speak for the entire Episcopal Church. Uh, we have a general convention that meets every three years that makes policy. Um, we do have a House of Bishops that meets more regularly than that and makes statements, but they're non-binding. And then every 10 years, the bishops from the entire worldwide Anglican communion meet at the Lambeth Conference, and they make statements as well, which are non-binding. Um, so what I will say is kind of compiled from all of those things. Since 1930, uh, the Episcopal Church and the worldwide Anglican communion, of which it is a member, has affirmed and reaffirmed many times the same statement that Pastor Jacob mentioned, that war is incompatible with the teaching and example of Jesus Christ, and that it's a corporate sin. And we ask God's forgiveness for our complicity as a people. 
In addition to violence, war involves the misdirection of scarce resources to armaments rather than to human need. And we decry nationalism as we hold the cross above the flag, meaning that love of country must be qualified by love of all humanity and the recognition that all people are created in the image of God. So patriotism is subordinate to religion and obedience to God is above any other loyalty. We encourage US foreign policy aimed at human development, alleviation of poverty, and respect for cultural and religious differences. And we call on all nations to halt the production, sale, and testing of chemical, nuclear, and conventional weapons, and to move toward complete disarmament. And we pray the Holy Spirit change the hearts of all people, moving us from violence to nonviolence. So clearly those are idealistic statements and um, we're, we're not all living up to those at this time, but um, uh, it's something to work toward. You know, I, I, I think that there are important statements. As you said, um, they're idealistic, but they are so important because they go to the heart of, of what it is that we're all, all talking about here. I think as as we go on, and we, we've heard what the, the three basic congregations, how they organize their thoughts on something like war, how we bring it home to the individual congregation. As uh, you work within your um, house of worship, um, how are you, uh, how is your congregation responding to this? Uh, we're seeing things nationally in the news of congregations and communities across the United States. How, is your, how are your individual uh, congregations responding or what questions are they asking or you know, are they looking within their faith to formulate a response? And the correct one, as you said, a war of aggression with, against, uh, weighted against the ability to defend oneself. Um, Reverend Kathy, could you kind of expand on that a little bit? Sure. Um, I think in this particular conflict, it's pretty clear that um, we're, you know, in support of the Ukrainian people uh, because they have been invaded. It's a it's a one-sided war, um, and so we certainly are holding them in prayer, um, trying to provide some humanitarian relief for the refugees and. Poland and other countries. Um, I don't know if anyone is demonstrating or doing other kinds of political action. I'm, I'm not aware of that at this point. Rabbi Tom. Well, the Jewish connection to Ukraine is longstanding and complicated. Um, on the one hand, uh, there have been in the history of uh, the last thousand years, some really terrible anti-Jewish uh, actions in Ukraine, uh, many of them supported by uh, folks in Ukraine. There are Ukrainian nationalists who are uh, problematic attitudes toward Jews. On the other hand, the president of Ukraine is Jewish. The prime minister is Jewish. That's the only country other than Israel where that has happened. Mm -hmm. The president was elected with a massive uh, majority. No one seemed to care about his uh, Judaism. Uh, and, um, you know, many of our, the, the memories of Jewish people have been of 
their connections to Ukraine and their 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 you know their for many it was a homeland. And when I say Jewish people, I'm not talking about centuries and centuries ago. I'm talking about people whose grandparents remember this. And I know from many of my rabbinic colleagues of being over and working with Jewish communities in Ukraine and visiting these places. So to me, this, to us, I think this feels like it is personal. This is, you know, this is, you know, on the one hand, we ourselves know what it's like to have, in that part of the world, to have a country come in and uh, bomb you. Uh, For another, um, you know, we just have these families, connections, these memories, these relationships. And so I think for many of our people, um, this has been um, a particularly difficult time. Thank you. I can tell that was hard to share. We're actually in the same room, so you can see people's faces as they um, uh, share a story, share what is the um, feeling in in their house of worship. Uh, Pastor Jacob. um, Um, I think... For the individuals in my particular congregation, I have a sense that there are just a lot of questions and concern. Uh, some, um, you know, so we continue to lift up Ukraine in our corporate worship for prayer. And this um, Sunday after the invasion, I shared a specific poem and prayer, which I'll actually share at the end of our time. Um, together uh, this afternoon. Um, As far as things that are going on, I know one of the unique things, or one of the things I'm proud of of my denomination as United Methodists is we are a global denomination. And so there are United Methodist congregations in the Ukraine. There are not very many, but they are strategically located in all the urban centers who are currently being shelled. Mm -hmm. And so those congregations Uh, have the full support of the rest of us and are being given direct aid in terms of resources um, for helping those who are currently displaced by the war. Uh, And so the United Methodist Committee on Relief is doing their best to get humanitarian aid into those specific congregations in those communities uh, so that it can be distributed. Uh, And for that, uh, I am grateful. that we can reach like that, literally reach around the world. Um, so, yeah. Do, do you, and, and this is kind of going off script a little bit, uh, but locally, have your congregations talked about doing anything to try to assist or Benefit, or you know, I know during natural disasters, all of you do something to help out wherever it is. Have you have you talked about anything like that? I think we've. I, I haven't had direct conversation with my colleagues, although, and I guess you know, if you're listening at home, <laughs> uh, this is very much off script. I, I it was raised and brought to my attention that there is a local Ukrainian community. Yes. Uh, and in fact, there is a Ukrainian Orthodox Church 
I be- oh, I believe it's in Woonsocket. Yes, it's in Woonsocket. So cl- clearly very close to us. And um, there have been questions raised of can we, as an interfaith body, show support to the Ukrainian Orthodox community mm-hmm. in Woonsocket? And I think... Um, just to be very honest, I don't think it's gone beyond the question at this point, but I think it's a good question and one we should strongly consider. Is there a way to support that community um, as, a, as a sign of support for what's going on in the Ukraine? And the Interfaith Council will be meeting in about an hour and a half. So yeah. we'll discuss that. Yeah. <laughs> and she's the president, so she'd know. <laughs> we, we teed you up for that. <laughs> The other thing I'd say is that um, um, in the same way as the, the Methodist Church is uh, having specific fund drives for helping Methodists in Ukraine, uh, in the World Union for Progressive Judaism, which is the um, international body of the Reformed Jewish uh, community, uh, has a, a fund drive to support uh, the, the Jewish communities in Ukraine, and I'm have encouraged people in the congregation to consider that on their list of uh, tzedakah, of charitable donations. I, I would uh, assume, uh, Reverend Kathy, when you do get the Interfaith Council together, whatever you folks talk about, decide, suggest, uh, people will have the ability to find out what it is and how they can get involved, correct? Absolutely. In fact, we can let you know as soon as we decide right. and maybe add it to this program when it airs. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I, I think, especially where you folks are local, it, it is, I think you see so many things out there and it gets kind of overwhelming. Well, what's the right direction to go in? Uh, to be able to put it in the hands of our local interfaith council, um, I would think it gives us we don't have to worry about the direction. We can trust what you folks decide uh, to do, I would think. Well, thinking on the fly, um, you know, similar to our, like our Love Franklin statement we did, the mm-hmm. Interfaith Council can clearly draft something similar and allow the community to add their, individuals of our community to add their voice to such a statement that could then get sent, could be a powerful, powerful witness. Yeah. Especially if we had someone on the council who was good at drafting statements like that, <laughs> Pastor Younger. <laughs> this is one of the strengths of, I think, our community. I talk mm-hmm. to other communities, and they don't always have an interfaith council. Mm-hmm. When I share some of the um, support that you've rendered to the community on the town common or in another location when we have gone through a crisis uh, and and in this instance, it is a crisis that we are faced with, that we have an interfaith council that will come together, bring strength through faith, and help us, members of the community, to find our pathway mm. moving forward and addressing this situation. So I'm thrilled, really thrilled to hear that, and I'll be looking forward to it and hoping that we can get it out on social media and out where, where people need, uh, where people can see it and use it. And I think that, you know, we've learned in the two years doing this program, but also before that, whenever there was an issue that you folks as an interfaith council 
felt you needed to get involved with, you didn't hesitate. Yeah. You were right in the forefront of everything. Um, and I have to echo what Pandora said. I think that's so comforting because you're right, a lot of communities don't have that. And it's, it's great to have that, to have the direction for someone who just thinks about sports 24 hours a day. <laughs> it's good to have a group of people that are thinking outside that box. That's our so, role. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to wind down now, and we're going to turn to Pastor uh, Jacob for a spiritual focus here. Uh, and Pastor, take it away. So kind of going along with the quote I shared a little bit earlier, the question of, um, you know, who knows when the sword is drawn once, where it may stop, uh, and what command can it be put up into its scabbard and it will obey. Um, I shared with my congregation uh, the Sunday after the invasion a poem by Ann Weems. And um, the late Ann Weems was known in her circle and in her uh, faith tradition as the Presbyterian Poet Laureate. And uh, she wrote an absolutely uh, beautiful and provocative poem entitled, I No Longer Pray for Peace. And, um, and so I, I would offer it as a, just a closing reflection for, uh, for this conversation. So, so Anne writes, on the edge of war, one foot already in, I no longer pray for peace. I pray for miracles. I pray that stone hearts will turn to tenderheartedness and evil intentions will turn to mercifulness. And all the soldiers already deployed will be snatched out of harm's way. And the whole world will be astounded onto its knees. I pray that all the God talk will take bones and stand up and shed its cloak of faithlessness and walk again in its powerful truth. I pray that the whole world might sit down together and share its bread and its wine. Some say there is no hope, but then I've always applauded the holy fools who never seem to give up on the scandalousness of our faith, that we are loved by God, that we can truly love one another. I no longer pray for peace. I pray for miracles. And I know where I am, uh, and I sense perhaps where my colleagues are and where our houses of worship are. Uh, I sense that that prayer would hold for all of us regardless of our tradition. Amen. <laughs> I think it would. I, I like the, the idea of even being able to believe in miracles so that we can pray for them and realize one in this particular situation as we watch the war continue to unfold on human lives in the Ukraine. So we thank you all for a thoughtful, compassionate, thought-provoking discussion uh, using the lens of faith. And we thank Reverend Kathy from St. John's, Rabbi Tom from Temple at Siam, Pastor Jacob from the United Methodist Church, my colleague Jay Horrigan, our leadership from Franklin Radio, Pete Fasciano, 
and I'm Pandora Carlucci. We look forward to sharing some time with you next month. Thank you. Thank you.